welcome to a new episode of the Startup Fairies. In today's episode, we've got Anna Karen, who's CTPO of Third Fort. In this episode, we dive into her career and the ingredients that she's put together for scaling tech-led businesses. She also talks through the processes which she puts into place, which help enable innovation and growth rather than stifle it. She also dives a little bit into when to hire a product manager because we've got someone here who is a CTPO, so Chief Technology and Product Owner. Uh, We thought we'd ask that question. And then also she talks about the biggest challenge in her career today, which is a good one. So hopefully you enjoy it. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris, for having me over. Do you want to start off by telling uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, Third Fort, and ultimately how you came to work there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... um, if I'm to characterize myself, I, I would say that I'm a little bit rebellious. So how is it manifesting itself? So if, if I buy a garment and it says, like, don't iron, hand wash only, don't do this, don't do that, like, oh no, oh, we're going we're gonna to think, <laughs> we're going to see how, how it's going to work. So if you are telling me exactly what to do and how there is a very high chance I will be thinking about how not to do it. Um, and at the same time, another quality that I have that I've learned about myself over, over the years is that I'm a people pleaser. I like to please people. I like when people are delighted or excited after a piece of work that I've done. So it can be an advantage and disadvantage as well because I was looking, always looking to how to please other people. Um, so I think both of these qualities, they actually they are probably why I'm attracted to to startups, mm-hmm. to environments where uh, founders they disrupt uh, ideas, disrupt establishment, and uh, this kind of a revolutionary bit that 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 I like, that I'm drawn drawn to, and uh, I think being being a people pleaser that in the end I would like to, that everyone is, is is happy with my with my work with what I'm doing, um, so. So my journey to, to to third fourth. So I was I was looking for an opportunity to apply the all the learning, all the knowledge, all the experience that I've uh, that I had and uh, becoming a CTO. And then this opportunity came of being a CTPO, Chief Technology and Product Officer, which was quite quite interesting. And there were not so many. Uh, uh, these type of roles in, in the market and it was quite interesting but but the main point that attracted me to third fort is their mission so their mission is to protect society from money laundering and fraud when people do big transactions like buying a property so this idea the simplicity of of, of uh, solving a problem a real problem in the world that a lot of people are, are going through. They either uh, rent or they are there buy property and it's very anxious time to, to do it and the, the process is, is quite uh, quite uh, cumulative in, 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 in the UK. So this idea of, 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 of applying my knowledge and solving um, a, 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 a real uh, life problem really attracted me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second reason is the founders. I, I, I really wanted to work for people who I knew that they are on the journey to learn all the time. They have this growth mindset and they're listening. Mm-hmm. They're listening, they're coachable. So these qualities uh, told me that they have all the ingredients to be super successful mm-hmm. as they are. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about, about my journey. Brilliant. I mean, one of the things when we were putting this together is you kind of told us a really interesting stat. So what, 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 what wouldn't the listeners be able to, to guess about you? Yeah, well, they probably they probably uh, picked up on a, on an accent that it's not English is not my first language, but I can't even tell. Well, Russian is my first language, and first of all, I have to denounce 
before. <laughs> I feel just the constant pressure. The moment that I say that Russian in my, is my is my first language, I need to to distance myself from the from the regime, and this is what I do. Um, but over the years, I I um, I had to uh, learn different languages, and I learned uh, German, I learned uh, Romanian. Mandarin, uh, there was something else, I don't remember, for, for in, in, in different circumstances. Uh, so first of all, because my parents, they, we, we had to move with my parents from, from different parts uh, of, of the globe. So I feel like a little bit of a, of a global citizen. citizen. And uh, with each country, I, I had to submerge myself in the local experience and, and to learn local, local language, which I find a lot of common between human languages and programming languages mm -hmm. essentially they're the same mm -hmm. there is a lot of mystery around programming and coding but actually th there is not much mystery we engineers I I, I, I describe myself as an engineer in the, in the end but we engineers sometimes we like to 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 mystify to make a mystery, something a big mystery but actually it's, it's it's all the same if you can speak human language you can speak program you can write programming language so um, Yes, yeah, so I think this is the one of the things that you wouldn't um, uh, uh, know about me. I probably I, I I learned something like six languages, but I speak fluently. I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe English and Hebrew, uh, the languages languages oh, that yeah. you speak speak at home. Uh, yeah. My husband is uh, is is Israeli. This is where we met, and uh, uh, we try to maintain uh, to speak with our children a little bit of this language. But mm -hmm. to my to my uh, discontent, I don't speak any language to the level that I would like to speak, unfortunately. <laughs> I've done really mastered English, so that's the one that I have. But I'm pretty sure like at schools now they're saying like yeah they are actually saying you know software engineering languages are things that everyone needs to come out of school mm. having. I mean we're useful for the recruitment world because we'll be able to find software engineers easier. But I think it's like yeah I, 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 something that really trying to say yeah, as like a not, not a linguist but like a language is something as well as a programming language as well as learning a, mm. a different language other than English in schools now I think it's becoming quite a prominent aspect and really trying to force that through um, but obviously what I'd love to dive into with yourself is you've got a wealth of experience working across startups uh, a glutton for punishment possibly for, for diving in um, but what I'd just love to really ask you in your experience what are the, what are the key ingredients for scaling up a tech-led business mm-hmm mm -hmm. So in my head, I've I've almost like created like a model of key ingredients for creating a high performance uh, technology and product and technology organization that I currently lead, and uh, one of the ingredients is repeatable and scalable processes. The second one is empowering teams and individuals at all levels, and the last one is the role of the leadership. It, it because it needs to be different a little bit, and the role of the leadership is about focus, challenge, and support. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the, maybe the first in ingredient of repeatable and scalable uh, processes. So I guess to start with, every startup, the way they, they, they begin, it's all about uh, leaders, individuals, founders who are very talented. They lead through uh, their personality. And the, the more successful these individuals are, the, the, the more successful the, the business from, from, from the beginning. But at some stage when the company becomes bigger, when it's, it's starting to, to scale, this approach through personality, it does not necessarily work. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be quite a personality to be able to control everything as the, as the organization as the organization works. And in the majority of the cases, what happens is that the, when the company grows, the, 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 the environment that is created is almost like a chaos. 
because you can't go all the time to the founders and ask them, oh, how about this? Or oh, can I recruit this person? Or I would like to make this decision, technical decision or whatever other decision. Can you please approve it? Because otherwise it's just, there is not, not enough hours in the day mm -hmm. for a founder, founders to approve everything. Yeah. So they will have to let go and if there is there are no processes minimal processes and the on the ground then what's great what's left is, is is chaos like no one knows what to do and i can give you an, an example like w what it means if processes but because i also think in startup uh, uh, the notion or, or the moment someone in, introduces the notion of processes it's it's scary like processes what yeah. we're not corporate like why would we have processes we don't want to have bureaucracy. So this is something that immediately jumps to mind to people when they hear about, about processes. But I think the there needs to be a, a, some level of processes that is minimal to uh, to to allow people to to make to make decisions. So one one simple example uh, in one of the other scale ups that that I used to work, a, a few teams they had to make technical decisions. So they were building data lake, but it doesn't matter, the, 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 the details are not important, but they had to make a technical decisions about something. There was no process, so they were uh, battering themselves, like what shall we do, uh, how they do it. They had a few options mm -hmm. uh, of this uh, of this decision of, of, of which technology to choose. Then they were identified that there are some dependencies on other teams on this, on this decision. Because there was no processes, what happened is that they were kind of a gazing at this at few options, a few possibilities, started to look at each other, oh, what shall we do, who shall we ask, who is signing off, who is mm -hmm. deciding, is this the right decision? So there were, there were weeks of wasted time and, and infinite calls and, and conversations because they didn't know what to do and how to do. So it's, 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 it's a, um, um, they've lost lots of time and lots of, lots of hours, lots of effort. If there was a, 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 a process of decision making of how to make technical decision, then they would be able to, to move to move faster. So this is one, an example where uh, 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 efficient, um, um, repeatable and scalable process will allow companies to, to, move, to, move, to move faster. Perfect. Is, is there examples then that where it will actually enable more innovation and growth? Or is that is that one that you would, you would use? This is yeah. one of the examples yeah. of innovation yeah. and growth because it allows the uh, uh, the the company to take the decision. It might be innovative. It mm -hmm. might be the one that uh, no one has done before. Mm -hmm. It might be copying something from the industry because it's already existed, and it doesn't always have to be in the um, in the area of technical decision making. Mm -hmm. It might be as simple as, as hiring, yeah. right? Um, um, if if there is no process of how do we make sure that we we bring the best talent to to the to the company again people will be uh, asking questions the same questions all the time looking for sign of uh, uh, like running around in circles and instead of moving fast exactly what we know what we are looking for mm -hmm. here is the process and 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 all move, um, and, and all can be done much faster yeah. in, in your experience then obviously you worked with a range of high growth businesses what's the best type of leadership to that enables hyper growth so I think I, in my head, I'm, I'm dividing it very simplistically into two models. So one model is a top down mm -hmm. and the other one is, is bottom up, so very simplistic. Um, so top down, I guess it can work. It's a model. It works in, in some organization. But what it means that the leadership, they need to be very smart. They need to be very, very good. They need to be amazing leaders. They need to be 
absolutely right in everything. And first of all, I, I, I don't know too many people who are right all the time. And, uh, and I think it's very tiresome for, for leaders all the time to tell everyone what to do and to be able to defend your decision all the time and to, uh, and to be always right and to take accountability for everything. It's just really, really hard. So my philosophy is that uh, leadership needs to empower the teams and the individuals on every level to give them enough uh, guardrails so they know how to arrive to the, to the right decision. Not necessarily 100%. I, I don't expect my team to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to make all the right decisions all the time. And it's, it, it, it's okay as long as they learn, as long as they understand, as long as they own the decision. And it's, it's much more easier to, to lead the team where uh, you allow your team members, your leaders to make decisions and to own them rather than <clears throat> rather than constantly telling them all the time and I also I feel like it's much more fun yeah. to, to, to own the decision and to uh, think that this is the piece of process decision or, or, or something that that I've made and I'm thinking I as, as, as the leaders the, 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 that, are, that I have in my, in my teams rather than constantly just uh, uh, executing on steps on the, the cookbooks of some or of someone is telling you uh, what to do and uh, so in, in my opinion like the second ingredient is to empower the team individuals in all levels by giving them the guardrail giving them enough uh, uh, um, uh, direction but enough space also so they can own the decision and they make can make can make their own uh, uh, decide what's what's right right mm-hmm. right for them yeah I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball question if that's all right obviously with you being a CTPO mm. when I was on a panel recently um, and the question was asked from the audience when should you hire a product owner a product manager into a startup how early do you think you need to get product established in the business within a, within a startup yeah, it's a very good question. I think product, they have a unique role to play between technology and the business. So I wish we were in a world where engineers, uh, technologists, they were able to speak the same language as the business. They were able to speak the same language as their, as their customers. But <clears throat> sometimes I think not everyone is capable so in my ideal world, yes, I would love to have engineering where they they understand business, they speak the language, and there are such people. Mm-hmm. I think more senior they are, they become, more experienced they 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 become, and more <clears throat> business orientated they are. But unfortunately, not everyone is in the same level level, and it's a matter of investment. The majority of them will get there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that we can't work with with people who are a little bit less. Uh, business orientated, we, you, we would need to guard the, to, to, to guard them to, uh, to to make the contribution to the business in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And product, they are the uh, interpreters of business to the technologies, like back and and, and, and forth. So I guess um, my runbook would be the moment the company wants to do more than one thing at a time, yeah. more than one piece of product or, or feature at the, in parallel, mm-hmm. I would have a PM for each stream yeah. of this work. Yeah, what's, what's quite interesting from my side of things is, talk, actually, I've 
I, I uh, didn't know the answer to that when it was. I knew it was going to be coming in the in the panel, and I actually called a couple of uh, the VCs that I work with. Yeah. Like, when do they see yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And actually, a lot of them, when it's coming to like um, probably the first few million investment, they will enforce you if they're going mm-hmm. to invest to get someone in product. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the time, founders, you know, business owners just tend to just go at it, make their vision, build their yes. vision, and then yeah, they. they they don't think about the prioritization of which features. They don't think about, yeah, what, uh, you know, the engineers are working hard, but are they working smart? So I thought it was uh, quite an interesting, yep. it was quite a, there was a varied response on it. Someone said you should just hire a product person before you hire engineers. So at one point I was just like, I, I, I always thought personally the engineers kind of came first because they're like the builders, right? So, um, yes, so kind of, true. so it was quite, thought with you being a CTPO, I had to ask that question whilst I, whilst yes, I had no, you. I'd love to sort of understand that from, from your side of things, what, when you go home at, at night, really, what are the sort of things that you're thinking about? What kind of keeps you up and makes you want to kind of improve the next day? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, I guess I would like, I, I'm on a mission of creating high performance technology and product organization. Mm-hmm. And by high performance, I mean, uh, the, the ultimate KPI is productability of their deliverables. So how uh, accurate they are in saying, um, we are going to build something in a particular time frame, mm-hmm. and they're gonna be doing it in this particular time frame. That yes, the 100% is not is not feasible to uh, to expect from any organization, or, or even if they are delivering with 100% productability, what it can sometimes mean that they maybe they are not that ambitious, mm-hmm. they might be a little bit too cautious and li- taking a little bit too little risk. Mm-hmm. So I think somewhere around 70, 80% productability is great. So I'm on a mission of creating such an organization for third foot so that we can uh, deliver the features for the business and 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 and, and grow it in mm. its valuation, in its uh, revenue, in the customer base and, mm. and deliver on the mission. Perfect. Well, I've got to ask as well, obviously you, you've, you've, like I said to you earlier, a bit of a glutton for, pun- glutton for punishment and the fact that you've jumped into a range of different sort of scaling businesses in your career. What's been the biggest challenge that you've you've come across? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge, I was thinking about it uh, before that, and uh, the biggest challenge is not related to the business, but actually to myself, to my personal growth. And there was a chasm a few years ago that I had to had to cross, and I realized that my leadership style was very directive. Right. I was telling people what to do. And I, I realized how um, disempowering it was, and I couldn't get the best out of my team, out of my leaders. And the scariest thing was to let go, stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Because my fear was that the moment that I don't tell them what to do, they might make mistakes. Yeah. And then I lose control. And how do I fix this? So I took everything on myself. All the responsibility was, was on me. So it was a very uh, difficult moment. So first of all, to realize, oh, I'm, I'm too directive. I'm telling people what to do. That's, it's, it's not, it's not going to scale my team. It's not gonna, they're not going to enjoy it. They're not going to learn too much. And, and, and why, well, why are you doing it? And the next, like, how actually start doing it, how to allow them to make mistakes. And I think one of the biggest um, uh, realizations for me was that it's absolutely fine. There are very few mistakes that are absolutely unfixable. Yeah. That it's, that it's, uh, they are uh, uh, unreconcilable and it's, they're never to be made. There are very, very few. 
and it's okay for them to make to make mistakes so the moment i i realized that i can do it and i think probably trying it for the first time was very very scary but after that i i felt very very liberated and um and i don't think i can go back yeah. from there mm-hmm. and and i remember in my personal career will actually the first time my boss uh, gave me the permission to to make mistakes make they made me the permission to make uh, to make decisions it was so liberated uh, so liberating i remember we were in one of the uh, startup scale up that i worked we were growing a team scaling a team and uh, we wanted to hire a lot of people in a very short period of time so the question that i i was uh, uh, raising why don't we open a technology hub in some other location other than the uk where we should be able to uh, to hire somewhere and then I, I remember i came to my boss and said um uh, look uh, i reviewed it at the, one of the locations and uh, this is the data what shall i do and he looked at me and he said well what are you expecting what are you expecting for a command <laughs> like there will be no command no, i won't tell you go do it i won't tell you what to do like what do you mean you won't tell me you're my boss this is what i expect you to do he said, no like you, you you need to make a decision make a decision make a recommendation and uh, we'll take it from there and for me i think I, i'll just I had to gasp for it <laughs> and I didn't know what exactly what what to do um but this was the liberating moment for me that I can make decisions I can make recommendation I will have to to present evidence of why I'm making particular decisions um um uh and, and a particular recommendation but it was such a liberating moment so someone set me free so I from from that moment I think I couldn't bear that someone would tell me exactly what to do what like I had to arrive it to myself and this calls back to my um a little bit rebellious nature I have to arrive to my decision myself and yeah. I superimposing this on all of my teams all of my um uh, uh, leaders with whom I work that I assume that they 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 like the same environment and majority of them do Awesome. And the final question that we always ask as well is um what piece of advice would you give to someone who's thinking of joining a startup? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think there is only one constant about startup, it is change. And I know that I haven't coined this phrase, but I like it. I think it's it's truly reflecting the nature of startup. It's constantly evolving, constantly changing, and people who work there, they need to accept it, they need to embrace it. You mm-hmm. you can't you can't fix us you can't stop change because this is the nature of of working in a startup and the best they can do they can embrace it and they can grow with the company they can change and grow with that this is the best they can it's it will have a lot of fun this way and uh, it will save a lot of frustration i guess perfect well that's a great look well, perfect and thanks for thanks for joining us today. hopefully hopefully you enjoyed it thank you so much chris i enjoyed it thank you so much